neuroscience, quantum physics, biology, plant medicine, non-dual tantric meditative practices. We will be exploring these concepts with experts to provide insights. Get ready to melt reality with us. In this first episode, David and I would like to introduce ourselves, give our backgrounds, and launch a conversation between us related to the nature of quote-unquote reality. In future episodes, we'll be interviewing friends and colleagues who are scientists, doctors, plant medicine experts, meditation teachers, social activists, and mystics to explore consciousness and share techniques to play with perception, identity, and the ego. In each episode, we'll be interviewing artists, philosophers, and scientists on the nature of consciousness, the nature of reality, and spirituality. In some episodes, I'll be providing a summary and an update on current scientific findings that have been reported in the scientific literature related to the topics covered in the podcast. These will be specific studies ripped from the scientific headlines. Examples include studies on the nature of consciousness, studies on the nature of psychedelic compounds in the clinic, or perhaps studying how quantum mechanics might be relevant to defining reality. Our colleague Sana Tour, a neuroscience student and sophomore at Fordham University, will be sharing transcendent experiences that she has collected from her friends and colleagues. Finally, Jody will be offering short guided practices, meditation practices, that you can integrate into your day-to-day to play with perception, identity, and the ego. So Jody, why don't we start by you giving a little background on yourself and describe what got you into this and what got you into the topics of the podcast. Thanks, David. Yeah, this is a really interesting, it's been an interesting journey for me. Um, It it was a very unusual thing to be born and feel like a little mystic in, in a family where my father was a communist atheist and my family did not believe in religion. They thought it was a crutch. And very early on, I started to have uh, mystical dreams and experiences, um, which I really couldn't articulate in in that environment. In fact, my parents were, um, quote unquote, peace activists, but it was a very kind of a unilateral environment and actually um, emotionally challenging physical abuse and a lot of things that I had to address as a young person and uh, for which I ultimately left um, that environment when I was 16. And so it got me thinking about the mind, intellect, and ego. My father's challenges with his own ego, his grandiosity, narcissism. And I ultimately went on a search for what love was and ended up when I was 17 in Kashmir with an American teacher Uh, uh, And my life changed there. I I literally, out of a blessing, I guess, I don't know what you would call it, out of just destiny, met the last in uh, the lineage of great non-dual tantric teachers from the tradition of Kashmir Shaivism, Swami Lakshman Jew. And at the time I uh, was studying with a group two hours a day, I was practicing classical yoga, which is Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. Hatha yoga, pranayams, um, um, yana studies, um, japa uh, yoga. When I met Swamiji, I I could not put into words 
how to describe who he was. He was an extraordinary human being. In fact, someone once asked him, what did he think about XYZ? And he said he didn't think. So being in the presence of a person who was out of their mind, intellect, and ego, and was a a vessel, a, a, a testament of consciousness in the moment, um, expressed and expanded. He was extraordinary. And so I went back to study with him, to visit with him uh, eight times over 12 years in my late teens and 20s, even while I became a sports agent at IMG, uh, where I represented um, 45 elite athletes, worked with Jackie Joyner, Kersey, Flojo, Ben Johnson, Zolabud, many runners. And even um, after I left IMG as a sports agent, I uh, started to launch my own companies. I worked on the 1996 Summer Olympics. I ultimately launched a beauty brand by the name of Peacekeeper Cosmetics, modeled after Paul Newman's work, because I realized that the closest thing I could do in terms of the transformation of consciousness in the way my language was at the time was social activism. And so I started funding women uh, who had been trafficked, women who lived on a dollar a day with a second source of income through my beauty brand Peacekeeper, which sold at Nordstrom's, Henry Bendel, Fred Siegel, Whole Foods, etc. All during that time, I was practicing yoga and trying to understand what love was, trying to understand the mind, intellect, and ego, um, trying to deal with entitled narcissism, grandiosity, which I found all through the hallways in the companies that I worked with and um, in situations. And so I was really on this journey to integrate what consciousness, what it means to be a conscious being in uh, a diverse world um, while I was a social activist. You know, this, um, this journey leads me to understand that I'm still a social activist, but that my language now has changed from this is bad and we have to change this, like such as human trafficking, to a different language, uh, a language that's not a for and against. And um, my true activism now, actually, I believe the highest the next accomplishment, the next great accomplishment for humanity is some mastery and understanding of the mind, intellect, and ego. And that's my activism work now. And so, David, I, I would love for you to share your background as well. So we can share this with our listeners. And then we're, I know we're going to explore a little bit more um, uh, many of these concepts. Well, thank you, Jody. So my background is not as mystical as Jody's. It's a little more scientific. So I knew in college that I wanted to go to grad school in science. And I chose neuroscience because of my interest in consciousness and in the brain's role in guiding our behavior. I was always compelled at the way scientists looked at the world using evidence as opposed to speculation or, or even instinct to guide our viewpoints. Uh, in grad school, I studied how neurotransmitters in the brain were related to basic motivated behaviors like hunger, satiety, sleep, and sexual drives. Uh, I continued on an academic path and a postdoctoral fellowship 
But I soon lost my passion for a career in science. I realized that I needed to understand how science was, uh, was relevant to the real world. So I ended up finding a career as a consultant. Uh, first, I consulted for lawyers who were involved with legal cases. I traveled around the world working with expert witnesses and developing strategies for major companies. These companies were accused of, of harming people based upon the products that they made. And I learned how powerful storytelling could be used to foster different viewpoints and to, to raise, uh, to sort of by, by developing the evidence, the true evidence, the evidence that was, uh, that we found in the real world, how this could change, you know, change the viewpoint toward a product. Next, I worked for a DC-based consulting firm doing similar work, but really learning the craft of consulting until I finally founded my own consulting firm that I ran for, for over 20 years called Innovative Science Solutions. We prided ourselves on our scientific acumen and our deep expertise uh, on the scientific method and how this method could effectively help solve business problems. Uh, we helped drug developers bring new drugs to market and to gain regulatory approvals. And we also help businesses defend themselves in litigation that involves science-based issues. Finally, my company, Innovative Science Solutions, was acquired by, uh, by a larger company now called Lumanity, where I current work, currently work as the chief scientific officer. So that's kind of a, an outline of my journey and my, my sort of application of science to the business, uh, to the business world. So, David, what a background. But based on this, like, I, um, I really love the, when you have shared in the past that your work, it, you would review the science and come up with, your, with experts on sort of a scientifically clear position. And I love that because the science then speaks for itself. Can you speak to this in terms of your work uh, with your consultancy? So I strongly believe that any scientific position that I ever took in my career was the most accurate, the most well-supported scientific position. And that's what I find is the beauty of science. This was not because we were paid and our experts were paid to come up with that position, nor was it because you know everything was completely neutral and, 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 and completely independent. I would never say that. Uh, we were certain we and our experts were always, you know, paid for our for our work and for evaluating the science. But science is a is a beautiful system because you can't I could never tell my client what they wanted to hear based upon the science. Because it would fall apart when we were making our arguments. If you if you just say something that you think is false and is not supported by evidence, it will fall down in the courtroom or in a regulatory hearing or in a public, you know, in a public hearing in front of Congress. You know, these were all the arenas that we'd work in. And the beauty of, of science is that you need to respect the evidence. And when you once you start not respecting the evidence and trying to draw conclusions that are not well supported by the evidence, you will lose. And so we liked to win the cases for our clients. So if we ever felt like a client was not well supported by the evidence and their position uh, was not did not have strong evidence behind them, 
we would tell the client that and they would change and they would invariably, I would say, change course. So to me, this is about the, the beauty of the methodology of science and its power to reveal the truth in the universe. Wow, that's that's why I, that's why we're doing this podcast together because you bring all of that what's where neutral clarity around evidence based science and the understanding of it. That's great, David. Every every time that I will talk about science, it will be my best understanding of how the available evidence supports the conclusions that I would assert. Perfect. Welcome to Exploring Reality, maybe. <laughs> so with that in mind, though, you know, I'm really curious about um, sort of like your early, what inspired you in, in your early journeys, uh, not only to, uh, the wonder of science, but also the wonder of consciousness. Can you talk about your what your motivations have been regarding this? So the first sort of pseudo, I would call mystical experience I had related to science was when an evolutionary biologist friend of mine told me to read The Ancestor's Tale by Richard Dawkins. And I remember reading this, this book, which is a tome. It's a big, very rigorous, very heavily scientific book where Richard Dawkins attempts to trace back our ancestry, right? He calls it The Ancestor's Tale. He traces back our ancestry to the first single cell organism that ever existed on wow. the face of the planet. Wow. And he so he does it, he, he he does it backwards. And he starts tracing us, tracing our evolutionary tree backwards. And each time he tells you, he describes what that common ancestor was like. Right? So when we say we evolved from chimpanzees. We were never chimpanzees, but chimpanzees and humans had a single, had a common ancestor. And so what was that creature like? What was that, you know, what, 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 what did that creature look like? What did it, you know, how, how did it think? How did its brain work and all that stuff? And obviously we don't know for sure, but Richard Dawkins does the best he can to describe what that creature must have been like. And then he goes back and back and back and back and, and, and into history, billions, billions of years, ultimately. And so that to me was mystical. That was magical. That, that to me was spiritual. That was sort of my connection to spirituality. So I've always been open and interested in concepts like UFOs, uh, the seeming ability of thoughts to transcend time and space. Uh, those kinds of questions. I am a scientist and I would only evaluate any claims like that in a scientific manner, but I'm very interested in them, as was, by the way, one of the greatest scientists, popular scientists ever, Carl Sagan. Uh, and he wrote a beautiful book called The Demon Haunted World, where he addressed many of those kinds of things. And many of them he dismissed as not being supported by science. But some of them he did believe uh, might, not that they were supported by science, but they were very worthy of uh, of further study, of course, UFOs, he was fascinated in extraterrestrial life, and also the concept of reincarnation. So that was that's sort of a, a level sort of one step, you know, beyond. And then I started to evaluate the roots of my sort of religious ancestry. And I did a, a study in a, in a program called Partners in Torah, uh, where I came into it. So this is a this is a organization that pairs you with a partner who 
studies with you and helps you uh, learn J Jewish concepts. And I came into that program as a militant atheist, I would say, very, very committed to my atheism with the idea that, you know what, if I was going to have a child, I should at least, at least be open to some of the roots of my religion, and I should at least evaluate them. And that way I could sort of make a decision as to, you know, how I would raise my children. And I decided ultimately not to raise my children very religious or not to emphasize religion, but they were, they both had bar and bat mitzvahs. I have a boy and a girl. Uh, and, and so that was a very interesting, so that, that was, I was putting my toe in the water of, of, of religion, something I had never really done before. And that sort of intrigued me. And that's sort of my background in, you know, that's the extent of my background in spirituality and mysticism, other than the fact that over the last, I would say, five, five to 10 years, I've been reading, reading a lot of ancient texts and, um, you know, and, and sort of accounts of spirituality and mysticism and meditating a lot. So that's kind of, that's kind of my background is sort of step inches me away from from pure science and into some of the realms that we're going to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I sort of feel that everyone should read um, uh, Dawkins book right now. So we, we can understand that we're all we're we're all we've all evolved from a single cell wonder miracle and that um, cellularly we're, we're indivisible but that that's a whole other that's another podcast uh, um and so if you can share just a little bit more about your you know interest in this um i'd love to know what you're thinking about in terms of, of divine um original texts and morality and things like that and then i'll go a little bit more into my studies and background that's that's great so from from my early childhood, I always found discussions about issues of the day and topics, you know, with my my friends when I was, you know, when I was a young kid, to be very divisive and a frustration at the non-rigorous approach people typically had to disputes, you know, reverting to, you know, authoritarianism and you know, dogma, and well, it says it, so it must be true. And so that's sort of what brought me and got me interested in, in, in science. I was also became interested in this tension between belief, and this is sort of related to, to what I just said, to belief and to scientific observation and fact. And can these two approaches, right, that are very, very different, can they be harmonized in any way? And I think uh, Jonathan Sachs and his book, The Great partnership, he really makes a really valiant attempt at trying to combine those two ways of looking at the world, believing uh, and evaluating evidence. Believing is in the realm of, of religion and evaluating evidence is in the realm of science. And Sachs tries to sort of harmonize those two ways of looking at the world. And I must say, he, has a, he had an incredible appreciation uh, for the scientific method. Um, so this sort of evolves into my interest, my, my background as a neuroscientist and the biological basis and the neurological foundations of consciousness. So what is it? What is this, this arena of consciousness? What are these thoughts, feelings, sensations that appear, that appear to us and how are they made? And so that sort of started getting me very, very interested in 
the wisdom of people long ago, because I think a lot of these things were talked about and this interest I have in ancient texts and what ancient texts have to say, largely from a mythological perspective, I would argue, uh, about these sort of fundamental notions, these notions of what what makes consciousness. I mean, when you when you read about uh, the description of the prophets uh, in the in the uh, in the Jewish Bible, what was going on there? What was going on in these descriptions? And I have no doubt that in the consciousness of the people that lived in these ancient times, these this incredible imagery was happening. What was going on there? You know, everything from what was going on in the biological basis of their brains to, you know, I'm open to the notion that what was going on from a divine, you know, from a divine uh, transmission and reception of that transmission. So that's a really fundamental part of my interest. And then finally, I think, and maybe most importantly, especially with what's going on today, the foundations of morality, the why of morality. So the notion of moral relativism versus moral absolutism. So is there anything that can give us, is there anything in the universe that can give us a claim to an absolute morality? And I certainly don't know the answer. Um, and this really goes into understanding the universe as a cold, dark place without any divine presence on the one hand. And it's hard to understand. And, you know, that's observed by Richard Dawkins when he states the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. And I must say that as a scientist, it feels very hard to argue with that notion. It's beautifully put, it's beautifully articulated, and I know of no science that can contradict that notion, but it just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right to me. And so in this podcast, I'm very interested in exploring the the essence of what does it mean that that doesn't feel right? And what does that mean uh, about our consciousness? And really, what does that mean about the universe as a whole? And so that that sort of maybe summarizes the the topics that I'd like to discuss, Jody, with, with you and with our our experts. Wow, great. So bottomless, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. <laughs> it's incredible. So let, let me, I'll dive in a little bit um, into my um, early motivation and my my actual pa passion now related to consciousness, because it's it, it's really at the intersection of neuroscience, how the mind creates reality, quantum physics, the fundamental nature of, of, of what is this world, this universe that we perceive, and non-dual tantra, and I'll, I'll go a little bit more into that. And I, what I can say is that um, moving from a diehard social activist and using that word activism, pushing forward, pushing, pushing, uh, to change the, the world from a more unkind world to a kinder world um, has been a journey of mine. And of course, um, 
connecting to what I call uh, uh, being a voice for the voiceless, which includes species who we need to speak on their behalf uh, to powers that are endangering them. And so in my in my early life, I had very spontaneous experiences um, for which I would uh, uh, at one point I passed out in this sort of ecstatic state. Uh, I woke up numbers of hours later, still in this kind of reverie. Um, I was so devotional um, in, in my nature that um, I, I sought a kind of father energy uh, idolized in a um, a fashion that was not my father, but was a, a greater version of, of love. And, um, and so in my early life, I actually was born again in a Pentecostal church. I was longing for that connection to something spiritual. Um, I uh, worked, I attempted to practice uh, Kundalini yoga and all these other kind and, uh, of spiritual endeavors to connect me to um, understand what love was. And I think a lot of the value of religion today is exactly that journey, that, um, that higher kind of experience of something greater than oneself, that, that ultimate love. And so I'm really fascinated by uh, what can religion, quote unquote, look like um, it going forward, that's more a, a religion of wonder as a religion of any one um, manifestation of, of, of the personification of God on earth. Um, and so um, all through my journey as a sports agent, as a social activist, as an entrepreneur, I worked in um, sort of as I matured and I individuated as a person uh, from needing that approval from the teacher, from the, the um, person that led the temple or the church or the, <laughs> or the yoga community, as I individuated from those experiences, um, I started to study deeply. I started to go to the uh, science and non-duality conferences. Um, I started to read a lot about neuroscience and quantum physics and um, to really understand from a, a more scientific perspective what the mind, intellect, and ego are, the arising of them, the, the, the feeling of this is mine, um, and how one can soften the intellect soften the ego and that that takes me to where we are now i mean there's an amazing movement um using uh plant medicines like ayahuasca uh microdosing and things like that that all uh soften dissolve the intellect the intellect as we know it and so the job of the intellect is to create a subject object experience and what's so exciting about this movement uh, with plant medicine is that it softens, it dissolves, it dissolves, helps to dissolve, concretize rigid subject object experience and memory and history and allows one then to swoosh 
into more expanded awareness. Now, um, the practices that I learned through um, Kashmir Shaivism and non-dual Tantra can give one that experience, uh, can give a person that same touch, can touch that person into that same type of experience, but without having to use plant medicine. And ultimately the idea is that when one can quiet um, the mind, intellect and ego in an ongoing fashion for let's say an hour, fully focused, quieting the mind, no thinking, then one just breaks through this, um, this, the limits of the ego and becomes consciousness everywhere is really the, the ultimate accomplishment. And I saw that firsthand with my teacher uh, because he lived in that kind of a state. And so um, that's my motivation for um, hosting this podcast with you, David, is to, is to really explore what the mind, intellect, and ego are and how to play with perception, identity, and the ego. That was great, Jody. That provides us with some uh, excellent background uh, on what brings you to this, uh, to 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 the, your motivations to doing this podcast. So, who who have been your influences in bringing you to who you are today, defining defining you and your views? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the first book that I really that blew me away was, of course, Ram Dass's "Be Here Now," and we had the privilege of interviewing uh, Raghu, who you, uh, on one of the podcasts, uh, our listeners will, will meet him, who traveled with Ram Dass for many years. Of course, I've also read Ramana Maharishi, uh, No Mind, I Am the Self, which is this experience of taking, uh, uh, Ramana Maharishi would take anyone who came to visit him back to this fundamental place of Oh, I am pure consciousness. And so no matter what their problem was, you would say, who, who feels that? Who, who? And, um, and then they would just sit in present awareness. Also Ramakrishna, who was uh, an uh, ecstatic devotee of the divine mother energy and ultimately even had to let go of that to become pure present awareness and consciousness. Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, Sivananda, Yogananda, all of these extraordinary mystics were part of my food when I was early, and especially the book uh, Autobiography of a Yogi, because I could see, I, I was able to ex experience the life of a, a young, of a student trying to understand uh, uh, mysticism through the uh, lens of yoga. And of course, then my own teacher, Swami Lakshmanju, uh, his book, um, The Secret Supreme, uh, which is a, um, an overview of, 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 of the esoteric complexity of Kashmir Shaivism. It's a simple and beautiful overview, his Tantra Loka books. Um, and uh, we'll go more into um, how to study uh, Kashmir Shaivism in this podcast. And then from the scientific perspective, these amazing neuroscientists and quantum physics physicists, uh, Robert Lanza and his um, his biocentrism, uh, Minas Kofratos, uh, 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 Muktananda, a student, but a, a, a quantum physicist who's actually working on a formula for uh, reality at, uh, that is based on consciousness 
that we are living in, um, con- that the universe is, is, is made up of consciousness and that all that we see in it is an expression of it. Uh, David Chalmers, uh, Joe Dispenza, Pema Chobrin, uh, Rupert Spira, all are contemporary uh, role models to me and I learn from them every day. And so those are some of my influences. Wow, that's uh, that's great, Jody. And what about you? Yeah, I'd love to hear what your influences are. So I'm drawn to uh, rigorous thinkers, clear-eyed thinkers, independent-minded, who are not what I would call co-opted by a cluster of views. You can't necessarily predict what they're going to think on a view, except for the fact that it's based on rationality and, and, and evidence. There's nothing more boring to me than a pundit who just uh, adheres to, you know, a specific sort of set of values that cluster in maybe one political ideology, say, or another. Uh, so at the top of my list is uh, Sam Harris. I think he's he's just magnificent on politics, consciousness, mysticism, religion, uh, just a, an incredibly knowledgeable man who is uh, so educational, and I've learned so much from uh, someone sort of out of the blue, sort of who maybe doesn't fit in my list, but who I think is, has been a, a, a big influence on me is Bill Maher. Uh, I think Bill Maher is, a, is an intellectual and a, a very funny intellectual, and he happens to be a comedian, but I think he brings a lot to the table. As I said, I love Richard Dawkins. Uh, back to the politics. I love Brett Stevens. I think Brett Stevens is a clear-eyed thinker. I don't agree on every single thing he says, but I'm certainly compelled by his his approach and his methodology. I love Barry Weiss and Andrew Sullivan, two sort of more political pundits uh, who I think are clear thinkers. Uh, and then I and then I've recently come to adore this this uh, very funny but very smart podcast called The Fifth Column. Uh, Camille Foster, Matt Welsh, and Michael Moynihan. So I think, you know, the concept is to give our listeners the the guiding lights, the people who we sort of admire and not necessarily that we agree with everything any of them, all of them say, but that their approach to evaluating issues of the day and many of them consciousness itself and sort of the specific issues we'll be dealing with here uh, and I think our, our listeners can get an idea uh, of our sensibility by understanding who we who we like and admire. So typically at the end of our episodes, uh, Jody, you'll be leading us in a meditation practice. But I think you, there's something else that you'd like to talk about uh, talk about here at the end of this episode. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I, you know, feeling into the world we're living in now, the subject object world, the the conflicts around the globe, and also just the political uh, mood of our nation. You know, I, I think of um, Stephen Colbert's uh, use of the word truthiness and uh, and what is truth. And you know, I wanted to comment, David, that I I raised I was raised in a very unilateral uh, environment uh, where um, there was physical abuse emotional abuse, verbal abuse through um, sort of a, a grandiose kind of a um, position by my father that he knew more, that he was right, um, but also uh, just an emotionally uh, challenged environment. And uh, it also ultimately affected, I had a middle brother named Joshua Jack Weiss, um, who 
became schizophrenic in that environment. He ultimately took his life. And I want to bring this up in this first episode of this podcast in uh, acknowledging him and all the people in the world who are raised in, in, in violent environments and the violence that we do in the halls of corporate America, in neighborhoods, in communities, like what is what I call micro wounding, which are not, it's not physical wounding, but it's subtle, demeaning, talking down, ridiculing, negating another person. And then of course, physical violence. And how do we as a, a species really understand the ego, the mind, intellect, and ego. So, you know, this podcast is an exploration of the ego so that I can give a voice to those people who are experiencing violence. And I'm talking in the realms of human trafficking. Um, I'm talking, which is the largest cartel on the planet right now. And think about 2 million or more men, women, and children um, imprisoned and what kind of violence that is. I'm talking about the violence of seeing one's neighbor as different because of an ideology or something. Um, and I'm talking about what the what the mind, intellect, and ego does that enables a person to view another person or species as separate and then harm them. And so the 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 breathtaking thing about biology neuroscience and quantum physics is an understanding that we're indivisible, that our cellular quality is connected indivisibly, <laughs> expanded everywhere. And, and so, but how do you move that from the intellectual understanding of that to an experience of that? And so, yes, at the end of each podcast, I will be teaching one of an extraordinary grouping of, of practices, non-dual tantric practices and other practices to feel ourselves as a, a trillion cells of vibrating potentiality so that we can get out of the tools of the mind, intellect, and ego and into the arising of our sensu sensory, sensual self. We are sensory processors. So out of nothing arises a feeling and the the challenge is, is then, then we give it a history and memory and we act on it. What would it mean to be a humanity for which feeling arises and we just let it go by and we don't act on everything our ego wants? And so these are the practices, how to be a sensory, sensual being in the moment so that we can show love, uh, share uh, food, share our, our, our protection of each other. What does nonviolence in word, thought, and de deed actually look like among all species? And so that's the, the motivation for this podcast. And I'm so excited to have conversations with the experts of our generation who can help us as a, as a humanity understand how to see ourselves more indivisibly and less uh, separately well, and, less, Jody, I, and less separate. I'm sorry. I can't wait to get, to get into it with you over the weeks, months, and years ahead. So terrific. Wonderful. Wonderful. Exciting. And um, we're looking for uh, to share with all of our listeners and um, yeah, our, our next uh, episode will launch soon. 
The music you have been listening to is actually my consciousness in motion. To create this hypnotic music, Marsha Britskaya of Nextbox and her team connected musical notes to the frequency of my brainwaves from gamma to delta. The team at Nextbox will be exploring how listening to your own brainwaves can provide health benefits from reducing your blood pressure to calming anxiety. Visit our show notes to learn more about Nextbox. Exploring Reality Maybe is written, produced, fact-checked, and edited by Jody R. Weiss and David Schwartz. Research support is provided by Semicolon Connects. Music produced by Nextbox. Visit our website at exploringrealitymaybe.org to find show notes, transcripts, bios, and to learn more. If you like the show, please visit our website to donate.